You wanted the best. You got the best. In strong language and adult content. The hottest podcast in the world. Slowly we rock. The Snyder Pod. Yeah, Jim, do you want to start? Just killed my intro there. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Not the intro, but what you were talking about. Uh, I'll start again. <clears throat> Release the Snyder Pod. That's right. <laughs> At long last. Uh, the... No, skip that intro as well. I don't like that one either. Um, hey, welcome to Slowly Rock, Mel's funnest and dumbest podcast. Uh, how you're doing? I'm your host, James. As ever, I'm joined by Dan and Lewis. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> nice, classic. Cool. I wasn't expecting much from you. You delivered. We're back. The magic. You delivered in space. Yeah. <laughs> Tune up the band. <laughs> yes, we, we are Metal's funnest and dumbest podcast, if you couldn't tell already from that intro. Uh, we're back uh, for another week to talk all things hard rock, heavy metal, pop culture. Um, still feels like there's not a huge amount to talk about music-wise couple of releases the possibility of gigs coming up stuff like that mm. uh it feels like a few bands are kind of like going oh you know um december 2021 yeah we'll definitely we'll definitely <laughs> tour then okay yeah sure thing but um fortunately there is plenty to keep us occupied in the meantime other than just staring at the four walls of our homes um so i figure uh we'll start well, actually, stop everything. Lewis has just produced a very fancy-looking drink. What are you drinking, Lewis? Ah, it's a long and iced tea kind of day, Jim. Christ. Oh, nice. Good effort. Just all the alcohol in one glass. Yes. Well, I, did, I didn't know if we were going to be talking about um, Foo Fighters today, and I just won't have much to say, so I thought I'd get hammered. <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess you're safe. You need to get hammered anyway, but you're safe about that. Yeah, we were we were thinking of doing an episode, uh, not necessarily just about the new album, but like a general kind of like career talk over the Foo Fighters uh, to kind of coincide with the release of their most recent album, Medicine at Midnight. But mm. I think the album, I think I talked about it um, when it first came out and I wasn't particularly impressed. Uh, I went back to it a couple of times and I have enjoyed it more on follow-up visits but it's still pretty forgettable so i think that has slightly dampened our enthusiasm for it maybe we'll pull something out of the bag uh maybe we'll think of like an interesting format to talk about them but um yeah i'm not i mean the album's 30 minutes long i don't think i've got an hour to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> it's 30 minutes something like that 30 yeah. 35 they keep it pretty short wow. yeah okay it always feels weird when a band like really hypes up an album and then it comes out and it's like that's it it's 30 minutes long does it have the same ferocity as Rain in Blood? <laughs> oh, no, no, it has, Not uh, quite. It has seven minutes less <laughs> ferocity. More. <laughs> um, yeah, I took other new records I listened to a little bit. Again, not super exciting, but the new Architects album for those that wish to exist. Uh, yeah, I need to listen to it. Lewis, what do you think of the band Architects? Uh, I really who, them. who are Architects, in fact? What is an architect and who are the architects? Asking the big questions. Yeah. Ooh. I'm not talking about the architects of our fate uh, or, you know, anything like that. I mean, the band. Is Architects of Our Fate a band? 
That has to be some. That has to be a 2003 Christian metalcore band. <laughs> yes, definitely. They played a lot of New England metal fest and were like me, yeah. really low <laughs> yeah. down on the second stage of Ozfest one year. Yes, and it, but it was it was at that stage as well before uh, bands realised that like you can buy tight T-shirts that still fit. <laughs> uh, so, so they've just got that just a little bit of, of rise up yeah well you want a little bit of rise up because you've got to show you studded belt and buckle right from that era uh studded belts plural studded belts. thank oh, you jim yeah, that's true yeah studded, your white studded belts yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> <laughs> lewis ha- uh, tell us a little bit about architects uh, <laughs> fucking no, they're a heavy metal band. <laughs> right in the face of the metal band, you yeah. Should, you, should, you shook your head like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's killing air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are a uh, modern. Uh, I don't know. They're just they're part of this kind of wave of metal corey stuff that's also quite techy, mm. uh, but also appeals to girls. <laughs> yeah I would, say, I would say that their their audience split is way more like 50-50 than say I don't know <laughs> Dream Theater I don't know <laughs> good I hope we've got any new listeners for this episode saying that we talk about heavy metal and we're like I don't know what a band sounds like but yeah it's got some people in it and yeah. make some noise yeah, well, we, the first two bands we mentioned were like, okay, the biggest hard rock band in the world and one of the UK's biggest new metal bands, uh, NEW, and we can't even muster up two senses to talk about them. Um, yeah, Architects, Brighton-based metalcore band. They, they, I think When I think of them, though, I think of them in some way that, like, Bring the Horizon uh, and Bury Tomorrow and While She Sleeps. I feel like those four bands are okay. slightly merging... <clears throat> into the same kind of metalcore sound where it is like genty style guitars with like some kind of synth type stuff on top of it. So, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, I would actually say that a lot of that kind of sound, architects are more kind of pioneers of, uh, Bring Me were tr- like trying to do that deathcore. Th- like, I mean, they, they were that deathcore band, mm. right? They were yeah. the, the kind of figurehead well, of that. The first movement. record, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Architects kind of fit in with it, but they're way more techy. Um, De- definitely I think to a bit of sugar over the years, for mm. sure. Yeah, for sure. And um, maybe more towards bands like um, Heart of a Coward and stuff like that, where there's def- you know, there's like real emphasis on group periphery, um, mm. big, big, low-tuned riffs. Um, but I, yeah, I think... But I feel still, with the new album, <laughs> that's what they're moving more towards, that the Bring Me the Horizon... Um, well, I haven't I haven't heard special. it yet, Okay, Jim. So they put out, yeah, their, I don't know, God, it might have been like even their ninth album or something ridiculous like that, um, for those that wish to exist earlier in the year. Um, it's like the second album they've done without uh, Dan, their guitarist who mm-hmm. passed away um, a few years back. Um, so, and it feels very much like it is a big change for them. Um, yeah. They are definitely, it's like go big or go home. The album's like an hour long. Uh and um, they definitely up like a lot of the more melodic elements that they've kind of been playing with. Um, so in that way, it feels a lot more experimental for them. But at the same time, their idea of experimentation is not a million miles away from what bands like Bring Me 
and while she sleeps have kind of been doing as well in the last couple of years and that's why i think like a lot of these bands are starting to sound very similar mm. um so i'm still because there's okay. so much of it i'm still kind of digesting it i've given it a couple of listens um i know there's you know it's had some very terrific reviews uh and some others just a little bit like okay i get what they're going for but they've not quite refined it on this one yet um but it's it's a huge deal they have become like such a huge deal of a band now like you know, before the pandemic and everything, they were headlining like Alexandra Palace and stuff like you know, mm. and selling mm. out. Uh, and they were doing arena tours, and it feels like that is maybe you know, it's been a while since you can say there's been like a British metal band other than probably Bring Me uh, that can actually go and do like an arena tour, right? That's kind of reserved for like an older generation of bands, you know, the Iron Maidens and the Priests and Ozzy mm-hmm. and things like that there's like this big gap in generations between where there was nothing like that. Right. And now there's probably a couple of bands who have at that level. And so whether or not you're massively into them, it feels like when they do put something out, it's, it's of importance. Mm. Yeah. It has yeah, some relevance. Event. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's something else I've been listening to, but other than that, I actually have just been listening to loads of Iron Maiden. Dude. So, uh, I haven't listened to any Maiden since I've bought these spanking new speakers. Mm. Uh, so, every, like, whenever I've been going back to an album that I've heard a million times on, like, a million different, like, I don't know, speakers, headphones, whatever, hearing things on these now, I'm hearing things that I've never heard before. <laughs> and it is like coming to these albums for the first time. Uh, so today I blasted Somewhere in Time. I sh- of course, which 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 uh, you've you've uh, you've turned turned faith on now. I have, yeah. So you can appreciate how amazing it I, is. I I now have basically um, all of the eighties Maiden records on on vinyl now. So I just went through nice. them all. Yeah, I went through them all one by one, uh, and the albums that I was less keen on—not that they were bad albums at all—but Killers and. Um, somewhere in time yeah mm. I've completely 180'd on now like I'm like okay cool they put out like seven classics like back to back to back it's a hell of a run it? yeah it is a very good run I'm, we're kind of preaching to the choir here because you know we, we fucking love Iron Maiden on this podcast but um, yeah no surprises but yeah they're a band that you, sometimes you take it for granted and you forget like actually how good they are um, yeah Mm-hmm. You know, uh, especially because I spent so long with them growing up that I think, oh, okay, yeah, I've, I've heard all of these records before. Then actually going back and listening to them again, I'm like, no, it, it does feel there is something worth revisiting all the time with them. There's a reason why mm-hmm. that band has endured. Because I also was kind of listening to the newer albums as well recently. Uh, I think we talked about okay. this a little bit. And uh, the newer Bruce era albums. And yeah, also incredible. Like, if it wasn't for those two iffy ones in the 90s, I would say. Bruce hasn't made like a bad record with Maiden, but those two in the nineties did are fucking atrocious. So. I mean, they're really spectacularly bad. The two, if you want, <laughs> they're not even just like a slight different quality. They really, uh, they're awful, aren't they? Like it's, it's, it's actually mad the drop in quality all of a sudden during that run. Uh, sorry, now I, I just don't think you get that it's more of kind of like a lo-fi garage band kind of sound. Yeah, yeah. street street sounds. 
Yeah. Holy Smoke. Yeah. Classic. The, uh, the stadium metalers <laughs> Iron Maiden were going for. It's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? It's really... I think there's a reason the uh, live version of Fear of the Dark is the one that's on all the compilation albums and not the studio <laughs> version. And the studio version actually sounds weird in comparison now if you hear it and not be a very round. Do you think that's a thing that happens in like... Um like every major successful band's career, you hit like a peak where you're just huge, right? You are bigger than anything. And there's just some part of the ego. It's like, yeah, well, people expect this big thing. I need to prove to people that I can do a real kind of back to roots, that this is what the fans want. They want where we started. Because like Metallica have done it for the last 20 years. (laughs) I don't think it's an exception of like, I, I think... Well, I think there's two. There's two. I think there's two. There's two points, right? You have you become yeah. this huge band, becomes incredibly successful, and then you probably want to start defying expectations, right? And like the thing that you're known for is like, oh, if that's what people think they are, then you kind of want to rebel against that, right, and pivot away from it. Mm. Uh, and then I think but there is, is. Can I ask a question? Mm. Is that a lazy rebellion? Not necessarily, because you could then go and do something completely weird and really different. That- but in, in this kind of case, by being like, well, you know what? We're just going to record it really badly. Oh, well, I think in the, in, in the case of No Prayer... I don't think they're recording dying, it badly on purpose, though, are they? Yeah, not- I, don't think, I don't think that was a deliberate... <laughs> I mean, if you look, for instance, at Load by Metallica, which is probably their, like, obviously is their drop-off in quality. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at the recordings and the artwork and the photo shoots and the haircuts. There's actually an incredible <laughs> amount of way more effort put into it than probably okay. on the previous yeah. albums. They've actually like the, really and, gone for it. And the production on those records is absolutely insane. It's, it's yeah, pristine. Yeah, polishing a turd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a 79 minute turd. Yeah. But um, you also get like a... Uh, you, sometimes you get bands that they they go with one sound so long and they think okay we're done with it now there's nothing more we can do with the sound or we're bored of it right um Mm. like you know i talked to on one of the older episodes about how i'd really got into a bit of u2 last year yeah yeah and how after the joshua tree like and they go to the next follow-up out proper album to that is um actung baby which is like so different and it's like Mm -hmm. What, to me, I'm like, well, why would you mess that winning formula? But when you've toured the world and been known as like one particular band making one particular style of music, you know, you probably just think, I've had enough of this, I don't want to do it anymore. Or maybe because you've had that commercial success, you think we can start taking risks. I don't know. It's like an act of rebellion, I think, to some degree yeah. as well. Like S- Smashing Pumpkins after they did um, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, which is like this incredible album. And after that, they did um, Adore, which is like really stripped back. It's just like acoustic songs or like slightly electronica songs. Mm. But it's like, mm. it's definitely not what I think anyone asked for as like a follow-up. But I think they were like, oh, we're bored of being this big stadium rock band. No, we, we don't want to do that anymore. You know, we can do something different. Oh, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> I just, there's probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm tr- now in hindsight, I'm trying to think of those times where bands have been able to like, reinvent themselves one and completely 180 like that and actually pull it off musically and commercially as well it's, it's not an easy thing to do that's a really good question actually who hmm the like, beatles the, <laughs> yeah yeah well, yeah I think, for like I think, nearly I think, every album i thought like with the yeah. beatles though like there was like quite a gradual 
evolution and they were moving with the times right yeah, but yeah. it's like that that's like a good metaphor allegory for like how much change there was culturally in like the 1960s mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i don't like, like people always cite like david bowie as someone who like reinvented himself stuff like that but i think also it's easy to remember that like not every album he put out was like a big smash hit record as well yeah that he had lots of like commercial ups and downs um so yeah it's i i don't i don't know again people always cite like madonna was like again it's not it's not really rock music it's more in the pop vein there's one of those people who reinvents herself but she's still working within like a medium of pop it's just that she kind of reinvents like well she did kind of be it was always able good to kind of get her hooks in whatever was like the thing at the sound and then she went completely off the rails musically didn't she yeah she went insane yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like it's not really a big event anymore when madonna releases a new record or a new song i genuinely think that like when she performed at eurovision a couple of years back she might have actually like taken her career out back and shot it (laughs) like that that was absolutely performance yeah wasn't it they did like a half-assed version of like a prayer Mm mm-hmm or, or she deliberately didn't sing it properly, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She really, she really stuck it to the critics by doing the whole thing out of tune. Yeah, <laughs> at a pop music competition. Yeah, absolutely bizarre behaviour, isn't it? Really, when most of the amateur acts sound better than you do, and you're this legend, it's just it doesn't really work, does it? Yeah, I. There's probably a huge, huge band staring us in the face that we've completely forgotten about. Well, Opeth did it a bit, um, but not completely, completely different. But certainly yeah. quite I, a yeah, shift in musical change. A good example. People have accepted it now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think the difference is, though, like, Opeth are always going to be... They're as big as, like, that kind of genre can get. Oh, yeah, but they're I not like... Say, um, it's not like, yeah, be, an Iron Maiden or, like, yeah, or a, um, or a Metallica... You know, a band of that size. Yeah, Pantera. I'm sure there is one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know, man. I hear a lot of people crying out for more projects in the jungle era. Pantera. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but they definitely changed their sound drastically and got way more successful as a result. I know that's a different question, though, right? Yeah, they weren't we're very big about, though when they changed. Yeah, talking, it's like a it's a band who are at yeah, their peak yeah, yeah. who then okay. change. Uh, and do something completely different, but still, also, it's you know widely accepted. This is hard. This is Ooh. a really, really difficult question. This would be a good one for anyone who's listening. Uh, pop us an email or a tweet or a mm. DM. Yeah. I was going to say that would be a good one for people to join in on. Because there's um, prob- there is probably a because even within like say more recent mass stuff, like you think okay, Slipknot from like Iowa to Volume Three is a big change. Still like still a still sounds like a Slipknot record in a way though still like a just an evolution record. isn't it yeah yeah so if there is oh okay are you I talking significant over to Chocolate Starfish because I think those are two sides of the same <laughs> not again we've done enough we can't that, we can't talk about this live previously <laughs> two sides of the same cap um <laughs> White Snake mmm <laughs> I thought Dan was taking so his Dan, Dan just took his headset off then. I thought he was going to leave. I just had some caught in my throat, you know, when you just, you don't want to cough, but you have to. Yeah. <laughs> what are you uh, saying, White Snake? Yeah, because yeah, if you think about the amount of time they existed as yeah, kind of like a blues band, pretty much. Um, 
And then 1987 is just like the most just amped up to 11 with the times. Like if, if you were to, if you were to define that era of hair metal, 1987 would be one of your defining albums, right? That thing sounds like 1987. Uh, whereas Whitesnake before that point didn't. It did like fall for your loving and stuff. And there's a huge change there. And that just blew them up even bigger. Mm. But then could they then have done a grunge album five years later? And then I get- would fucking <laughs> love to hear a David Coverdale. It would be the sexiest grunge album. <laughs> it really would be, wouldn't it? Seductive. Yeah. Seductive grunge. <laughs> Come as you are, baby. <laughs> um, what else have you been listening to, Lewis? Any, uh, any of the records which have sounded awesome on your new speaker setup? Um, what, what have I been listening to? Loads of Racer X, a lot of shreddy stuff. Mm. Uh, been having a real nice time with Steve Vai, uh, normal kind of things. Didn't he hurt his hand? Was that Joe Satriani? No. One of them's yeah, had hand was... surgery. So Steve Vai had to have surgery in his thumb, I think, uh, for holding a cord for too long. So I think he did some kind of weird thing. Where he, I think he held a cord for some, like, oh, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Let, uh, let me find out. Let me find out. Yeah. All right. Dan, what have you been enjoying recently? You How long did he hold it for? Uh, <laughs> I listened to quite a bit of System of a Down today, actually. Nice. Um, I listened to the first three albums. Um, I think that first album's their best one, I think. When we're talking first three albums, are, we, are, you, are you counting Steal This Album as their third album? Yeah, I know it's not really, but that's just what I listened to. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's Because I know that of... was all B-sides and... Yeah. stuff but that first uh, album's so good I think it's her best one it's the one I can listen to all the way through and none of it annoys me I really like them as a band <laughs> but all, yeah. all their albums have at least one song where I just think oh, it's just a bit too because they walk that fine line between being almost like a novelty act and being yeah. a really really good hard rock uh, metal yes. band sort of act but I feel that first album does the right level for me the right, right level of quirkiness throughout I the feel- whole thing I feel toxicity I, does that for me, but I get what you mean. I 100% get what you mean. Yeah, like, for me, I always get Pogo on um, the second album oh, when I it comes know. on. Um, That's about fucking. But they're just really good. They're just a really good band. I was hoping we'd get more music now, but they slowly started to release a couple of songs, and they sounded quite good as well. And I was going to ask you, what did you think? It was Defend... The Land was one of them. Yeah, and I can't remember what the other one was called now. I both thought, I thought they both sounded really good. It just sounded like kind of what I expected. Mm. But it had been so long since they released anything, I didn't mind that they'd, you know, tried something new. Um, that was really good. I mean, I, lis- I listened to... I, was, I haven't listened to that much this week. I've been mainly catching up on podcasts. Um, but I listened to Crisis by um, Alexis on Fire because that's just one of the greatest mm-hmm. albums ever ever made like that, that's actually an album i would never skip a track on i think it's perfect from start to finish have you listened to uh last year um alice and chains uh got some sort of like award from like seattle and like we we're inducted into like a local kind of arts hall of fame type thing mm. and they got loads of uh friends and local artists as well and famous bands just to basically do a zoom call cover of various Alice in Chain songs. Um, Dallas Green of Lexus and Fire and Sea and Colour does uh, Rain When I Die. Oh, and, wow. oh my God. It is I, so good. I, I can see him smashing that with his voice. Because his voice is like, like 
caramel. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good cover. Definitely recommend checking oh, it out. Oh wow, I'll have to check that out. For sure. like you've been listening to uh, two bands who are amazing at like the top of their game took a hiatus <laughs> and they've now been like dangling the possibility of a new record in front of us for a long time I know. you've, I you've think... actually been edging yourself on these bands yeah, I think uh, <laughs> tantric listening um, I, I think, um, Listen to actually, I think well. the reason the reason I looked up Alexis on Fire is because I wondered I suddenly remembered they had they've released some songs and we saw them tour mm. and nothing else has come of that really um, so I wondered whether I'd missed something uh, but I hadn't and the other, the only other, because I've been listening to a lot of radio as well in between podcasts. But the only other album I listened to this week is um, Highway to Hell. I don't really need to say anything else there. I don't think it's. Dude, I listened to Let There Be Rock. The greatest well, album of all time, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Let There Be Rock is amazing as well. Um, basically, every album they did with Bon is that. I think that's another one. That's another Bruce run, right? Uh. Every one of those albums is banging, but Highway is. It deserves all of the praise that it's ever got throughout time. I always get a bit giddy listening to it, no matter how many times I've heard it as well. Like, it's just, it always feels super fresh. And even the title track, which is probably, in terms of like being in pop culture and stuff, one of the most played tracks, you mm. know, gets played all the time whenever they need to reference something like that. Um, it still sounds fresh and it just still sounds great. Um, the production on it is amazing. Um, all the group shouts are just the best as well. Yeah. I think that's the peak of like group singing. <laughs> I would say. I'm sure there's probably examples. Sorry, the free tenors. Yeah. No, honestly, <laughs> they got they got nothing on uh, Bon Scott and the Boys. Um, but uh, no, I love it. It's just a great, great album. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great um, album cover as well. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I do. You know it. I, it's weird because I'm not really a fan of bands who just have a photo of themselves on the cover for some reason. It's like a little bit. I always think it's like a little bit of a weird, lazy thing. Yeah. But there's, or it's not something. It's it's something which makes sense for like a lot of, like um, pop music, uh, hip hop stuff where it's like okay, you're yeah. really selling like that solo artist, right? Or really selling yeah. the image. But with like um, with rock stuff like that, it's not necessarily as needed. But like that album is just cover is so good. Yeah, it's, it's subtle, isn't it, though? Because so it looks like a group photo. Yeah. But when he's holding a devil tail and he's got the horns and... He's got a snarl on his face. It's just got so yeah. much personality to it. I think there's there's almost something kind of um, cult about it in that obviously that is Bond's last album. And it, I don't know, it's just... He looks very devilish and there's just mm-hmm. a lot... I don't know, I think the, the surrounding context of it after that album kind of makes you look at it slightly differently, maybe? It's it's a yeah. classic example of a, a record taking on a life of its own um, due yes. to like it, it, it's like um, Nirvana's in Utero, right? Everyone probably loves to go back to that record and say, oh well, if you look here and look at X, Y, and Z, the writing was on the wall and, and so on. And it's like it's it's never really that simple, but once you know, once a once you lose like a member of a band and stuff like that, like it, it does sometimes feel slightly poetic. And I think as well, it's that that picture of the band it is just them at their absolute peak and it almost looks like the kind of trophy shot yeah do you know what i mean it can't it, all it's the energy exactly you're getting so much of their personality and what they are but there's just this kind of it, they don't look like they're the kind of uh uh like the, the ragtag uh underdogs anymore it's like yes we are 
fucking legends. We are ACDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Deal with it. Um, uh, the, the only <laughs> album sure. from, that, from that run that I don't click with as much is Power Age. Uh, oh, I love Power Age. That's yeah. one of my favourites. Re- I think my favourite from that era is um, Highway to Hell and then Let There Be Rock, I think. Um, Let There Be Rock feels like their most... It's like their most air guitar album. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> which, which says a lot for an ACDC record, you know. But um, essentially yeah. air guitar band, aren't they? All their music's designed to be air guitar too. Yeah, it can't... yeah that, that album in particular, it, yeah, it really feels like you were, you were born to air guitar to it. Um, yeah, I never, no, I never got on with Power Age. I don't know why. It's, just, it, it's not that it's bad at all. It's just that it never had as many like standout songs to me. I find that there's a... There's a bit of a darkness to that one that I quite like. I don't know. There's just something a bit more brooding about it. And it, there, there's definitely a different energy. And I think that's what I really like about Bon Scott's uh, time with ACDC is that every album they did felt different. to like It still sounded like ACDC, but it felt different. Mm. Uh, it felt less like a kind of an ACDC factory. Um I, I love Brian Johnson completely, but I guess at that point they've put out what, like seven to ten. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> really, I think, really I think great the law, albums. The law of diminishing returns would have caught with them. Yeah, either way. But I think yeah. there's, but each one of those, there's like a different feeling to the album. All of the songs on it kind of feel coherent to each other, but different to the next. It's I don't know. And there's Bond brings like a real playfulness to it. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, Dirty Deeds has a great album cover as well. I love actually. that album cover. I mean, see the original to... cover, the original like Australian cover. Oh, what was it? Is it? It's bizarre. <sighs> it looks like something. It looks like someone tried to draw uh, issue of the Beano with their left hand. It's like it's really weird. It's yeah, it's on the Wikipedia, I think the yeah. original. But the, but the cover everyone knows is great because I mean it really is a testament to how sort of sinister and strange you can make a photo just by putting black bars over people's yeah. eyes. <laughs> like it, it it automatically becomes it gives it the vibe of like a crime, like yeah. immediately just from that. It's really or like witness protection or something like that. Um, yeah. The, on, the only thing I wish that they did differently is it would have been very funny if they also blacked out the dog's eyes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. We can tell who that dog is now. <laughs> um, so, Jim, just to go back to your question, uh, Steve Vai injured himself oh. uh, from holding a cord for... Guess how long? Nelms, give me a guess. 20 minutes. Fucking bang on. No way. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why? Where was he? What was he doing? He was meditating on it. What? <laughs> he was meditating to a sound that he was making. Uh yes. So he so he notoriously, um, back when he was kind of I say up and coming, he'd already played with Frank Zappa ages at this point yeah but he would do a like 10 hour workout routine every day of guitar right which explains quite a lot about why he's this good sure um but i know part of it he's always said is kind of like has to stretch beyond just like what you're playing and you have to really tune into the instrument and he says right. it becomes a form of meditation like a spiritual thing yeah 20 minutes and he's He's into all of that spiritual stuff. Um, yeah. He had a uh, like a 
a theory book that he put out not too long ago. And a lot of the review, this reviews like, this is absolutely amazing. It's a really fresh look at stuff. And a lot of them are like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> like, this is not practical. <laughs> like, I mean, meditation thing. absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. works. I've just never heard anyone doing it while holding a chord to the sound that they're meditating to. That is Well, yeah. And apparently, uh, apparently it was also a difficult chord. <laughs> oh, what a pe- honestly what a pillock <laughs> is my first thought there what a stupid thing to injure your hand especially my actual livelihood yeah Man, I'm sure you just... must have been feeling like a bit of the ache and the pain right I guess it depends how good like can you be really good at meditating can you be yeah. like good at meditating to the point that you don't feel pain probably you can do like transcendental meditation where you sort of almost leave your body in terms there of that's how much you... I don't know. I've been doing a bit of it since lockdown just yeah. to help with like mindfulness stuff, but only for like 10 or 20 minutes at a time. Um, and you do sort of zone out when you're doing that. But I would definitely know if someone pinched me or something, <laughs> A, I'd be confused because I live on my own. So I'd be, <laughs> that'd be really <laughs> freaky. But I would definitely notice. Like, you're still aware of the surroundings. So, Unless... but, but then again, it sounds like he's been doing this for decades and decades exactly so. yeah so, so maybe and he told maybe everybody how he injured it so that's something <laughs> he didn't try he didn't try and make an excuse of is what i mean because that is a ridiculous uh, thing to have to say oh yeah i was yeah. just wanking too hard <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah he he, uh, he actually just he could have said something else instead of just you know i was holding a guitar cord for 20 minutes <laughs> he could have said he fell over you know or something like that or then, on the I other feel, side, he like, could have held it for 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Would you think anything, he exaggerated? If anything, saying that you were like playing no. guitar like so good that you held a glove for 20 minutes that you had to have surgery feels like the ultimate, like, like I just think that like Ingley Malseem is going to read that headline and he's going to go, well, I can hold it for 30 minutes. <laughs> but, um, I, again, I had a nice moment for a second when you first said the story where I'd forgotten about lockdown. And I was like, the only thing I could think of is imagine the poor people in the audience who had to stand there <laughs> and watch him hold a cord for 20 minutes. Uh, but then I realised, obviously, it was very unlikely that would be the case. Well, yeah. I thought maybe he was doing a, um, like a, a live stream and oh. everyone was like resetting the stream because they thought it had frozen or something. <laughs> 20 minutes. And he has to go and get an ambulance. Like, this is the worst gig I've ever seen. <laughs> well, I hope his hand heals up quickly. That's a... Yeah, a, a, apparently be a terrible it will be fine. Diminish your career, wouldn't it? Especially, it would be awful. But, but then, let's be honest, if Steve Vai damaged, damaged his hands and it affected his playing, he would just play, like, an amazing guitarist. <laughs> yeah, true. Actually, <laughs> he'd level the playing field a bit, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah, I, I feel, any, yeah, exactly. I, I also feel like he he went on camera and just did like a one-handed solo or something like that. You know, like a few days after the surgery, like it didn't take him long to get shredding again. Uh, Steve Vai, but I, I think that's the that's maybe the most Steve Vai story I've ever heard. I don't think that he'd be exaggerating because he's not. He's that's not, too ridiculous to make up and too specific. Yeah, he doesn't seem full of shit and he's not, he's never come across to me as like arrogant. Like he knows that he's good, mm-hmm. but you would have to at that point. Yeah. You know, it's like Usain Bolt's never been, you know, he's never denied that, <laughs> that he's very quick. 
<laughs> True. <laughs> yeah, but I feel I feel though there's a difference there because like Usain Bolt has like the gold medals to prove it. Like he's someone who is like run like you can literally like <laughs> run as faster than any human being and someone will say, Yes, this is literally the fastest anyone's ever run. No one no one in the world currently can run as fast as you. Whereas like with Steve I, it's like, yes, you're doing the most guitar playing. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more, uh... But it's not necessarily the best guitar playing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more qualifiers, isn't there, as to what constitutes. Uh, yeah, okay. The best. But, yeah, okay. But then I guess gold records, no, because. Again, there's, no. some, there's, one, there's always one sold that... more, right? Yeah, One Direction can't play guitar as well as Steve Vai. Do we know that? Or can they? Well, Harry like Styles say, can do pretty much anything he wants these days, so. Wouldn't maybe, that be wild maybe. if Harry Styles just busted out a guitar and suddenly he just, he'd been doing it as a hobby in between the singing <laughs> but, but and then he just suddenly just... revealed, oh, actually, I'm actually an incredible guitarist. I'm I feel like he would turn up to like the, Met, the Met Gala and he would be like, because his, his whole image now, like he's like um, kind of really challenging like those sort of classical perceptions of masculinity and what he's wearing. He's quite open to wearing like very traditionally feminine clothes and stuff like yeah. that now. Uh and so I can imagine turning up in the Met Gala wearing something like to give like Billy Porter a run for his money and then pulling out like a guitar and start shredding and people just walking around him like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> also, where's that music coming from? It's not plugged into anything. <laughs> I thought this was a party. <laughs> um, some big news in the rock and metal world, guys, apart from Steve Vice Bum. Um, big news. Big news. Uh, it was the Grammys, right? The Grammys. Uh, was it? Yeah, apparently, yeah, the Grammys. Um, oh. They had a tribute to Eddie Van Halen, uh, which Good. lasted apparently all of, I think, 16 seconds. And it was basically... Sounds about right. Yeah, it was basically just, uh, I think they put his guitar on stage and had like a, a little bit of eruption playing over it. And everyone was like, is that it? Like, literally couldn't even get someone to come in and play a Van Halen song. Grammys seem really... The more you, again, the more you look into the Grammys, the weirder it seems and the more openly corrupt it seems. I've got a, I've got a blabmouth headline that's connected to the Grammys, actually. Um, I've never heard of it. Have you ever heard of a band called, called Skillet? Uh, yes. Which is I've an incredible the, name for... What a stupid name for a band. I've heard <laughs> of the name. <laughs> well, yeah, Skillet is a cooking... Uh, yeah, that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, in yeah. my kitchen. Yeah, so it, it is. It's like a big metal uh, pan. In fact, I, I but, cooked my steak on a skillet earlier. That's where you've that's where you've heard of them from. That's, yeah, that's it. Um, they're a Christian rock band, apparently. Um, and basically, the Grammys, Cardi B and Megan V. Stallion did um, performance of uh, WAP. What's that? Yeah. I don't know if you saw that or WAP, whichever. It's very What does that stand for? Huh? You should ask uh, Ben Shapiro. He can uh, <laughs> he can tell you what it stands for. <laughs> um, but it was a very sexually charged performance, obviously, given what that song is. What's it um, about? And here's no, the. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know it, Dan. Can you, can, you, can you explain it to me? Sorry. Huh? Okay. Well, it stands for wet ass pussy. Let's just get <laughs> out of there. Uh, bleep out if you want. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but here's the headline. So here's the headline related to that. 
Skillet frontman says his comments about Cardi B and Hitler were misrepresented. <laughs> Do we need to know more? Or... Yeah, why not? Isn't that the most incredible headline? People genuinely can't okay. help themselves when and- they... Um, feel the need to compare ev- anything and everything to National Socialism. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 here's how he drew that line between yeah, yeah. Cardi P I want to know how two women of colour singing about <laughs> sexual independence and liberation uh, somehow compares to the Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany of the 1930s and 40s. Well, you're about to find out in the next paragraph. Uh, so he was misrepresented in these views. Uh, his name is John Cooper. Uh, he says, the article from uh, Blabbermouth says, on Wednesday, Cooper released an episode of his Cooper Stuff podcast in which he argued that being forced to applaud and celebrate the sexual degradation of Cardi and Megan's performance was a good example of how humanity has always been dexterous uh, at confusing evil with good. To make his po- yeah, to make his point, Cooper said that dictators like Adolf Hitler always claimed to be liberators while performing evil acts. If he is worried about Cardi B's lyrics, then no one tell him about ACDC. <laughs> yeah. He's probably never even heard the song. He probably heard someone describe what they saw on TV at the Grammys and then... Because obviously we're now talking about him. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I've never heard of Skillet. I don't think I've ever heard of their music at all. Skillet. I am going to put them, in terms of, like, type of music, I'm going to assume they fall into, like, that vat of shit with, like, trap. Uh, well, it's Christian rock. I mean, yeah. dude, do you know what? They certainly look it. They certainly yeah. look like that. They they do, however, have Skillet. females in the band. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Breaking Benjamin as well. Like I think they would, they would, they would absolutely appear on the soundtrack to a WWE 2K game, uh, and also probably to like maybe like wrestling pay per view type music. That's what I'm just going to assume they sound like. His apologies, quite. He keeps reiterating how he didn't compare anybody to a dictator. <laughs> uh, and he goes sec- secondly I want to say this I did not conflate the consequences or the gravity of Cardi B's performance of the Grammys I in no way would ever conflate that to the horrors of the genocide that we saw in 1940 <laughs> or any other violence and murders and all the death and destruction of any dictator that we've had in history you see, the I honestly don't about- understand how it could be taken that way but just to be clear <laughs> clear of any confusion I want to I was stating we are living in a time where it comes to morality, but we are redefining what it is to be good and what is evil. I don't get where the evil's coming from. <coughs> any bit. I also feel uh, as well. I, I can tell that, you. Like, if at any point you have to apologise or clarify for any comments that you've brought up, which basically have the word Nazi in it, you've kind of just think like up. something happens. I'm worried it's going to happen to us one day. Um, <laughs> You're on the internet too long and suddenly you just have to compare everything uh, to the tenets of uh, national socialism. socialism. Uh, See, I saw a a quote from Giza Butler from Black Sabbath about, I think he's talking about like Sabbath being associated with Satanism back in in the day. And he said, well, you know, we were like 
uh, you know, kind of vilified for what we sung about. But I think he compared it, you know, compared to like WAP, that's nothing. Uh, but then he did admit that he's an old man. <laughs> he's, he's like, well, but I'm an old fart these days, so, you know. See, that's a good way to contextualise yeah. what he just said. Yeah, yeah. But so what do I know? I, so I don't really know about these things. But it's amazing people's reactions to that song and how much it like seems to straight up terrify people, which says a lot about um, a lot of people's uh, feelings, again, on like women's sexuality, like that they are exactly. terrified by it. Yep, it, it's, actually, it's been absolutely fascinating to see it unfold over the last few months. And I, I will, I will say as well. Like sometimes it is absolutely fine to compare things and people to Nazis. Uh, oh particularly, yeah. <laughs> particularly if it's maybe like a, a government-backed uh, white supremacist <laughs> kind of like standpoint of anti-multiculturalism, uh, fascists, know, nationalism, say you're safe. fascism. Yeah. Yes, I think those things are absolutely fine. And usually the people that get most angry about those comparisons are those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Yeah. On my list wouldn't be two women singing about sex. It's not really. <laughs> no. It's not a high on no. the comparison list, if I'm completely honest. Um, yeah. Like you say, two, two uh, women of colour as well. The whole thing is just <laughs> wild. It's like, but, um, it's it, it, like if they came forward and said that they released, released, recorded and released that song as a way of getting people to tell on themselves, then I would believe them. Because, like, so many people have, like, fallen oh, to the yeah. track where they just hear about WAP and they uh, have to come forward and talk about, like, how awful it is, how disgusting, or what a terrible song it is. And it's like, you are just telling on yourself and your broader views. Yep. But, they probably um, got yep. super excited. They probably knew it was a song for ages, then eventually found out what the acronym stood for and then decided to... Uh, kick off. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to know uh, who won the Grammy Award for Best Metal Song or Performance? Uh, How they classify it is really weird because they have performance, us. song, record. It's really weird. Like, and it's all based on like whether you're the person who wrote it, produced it, or okay. recorded it. But Best Metal Performance went to Body Count. For a track cool. called Bum Rush. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, the they were up against uh, Code Orange. Uh, in this moment, uh, Poppy and Power Trip. Um, huh. Yeah, kind of sad that uh, Power Trip didn't win because that would have been a cool um, tribute to uh, to Riley. Um, obviously, for yeah. that band that passed away recently. Um, but yeah. Uh, body and also, also something that's actually not that they care about this at all, but something that is actually more representative of the current movements in the metal yeah, world. Completely, yeah. If you, I was looking at like the list of Grammy winners, and like there's some, mostly some amazing bands in there, but they're all very conservative choices. And there's probably over the last like twenty years, realistically, maybe about about five different names. Like, okay, so last year was Tool for Tempest. Um, the year before that was High on Fire. Again, bands that have been around for ages. Macedon finally won after being nominated loads, but again, they've been around for ages at this point now. Uh, then it's Megadeth, Ghost. In 2015, Tenacious D. I didn't realise Tenacious uh, D had a song in 2015. When, which year was Megadeth and which album came out? It was Dystopia. Okay, that was the good one. It was okay. the good one, yeah. But they were up against Baroness... 
Gojira periphery. Oh, like, right. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, like uh, Sabbath one for like uh, God is 13? Dead was that? Yeah, um, Iron Maiden one for El Dorado, which is not my favorite main song. It's probably uh, just name recognition, though, isn't it? It's like and the you, exactly. And you look exactly. back at it, and it's complete name recognition. So. Uh, Judas Priest won for a live version of Dissident Aggressor, and they were up against Lamb of God, Megadeth, Ministry, and Slayer. This is in 2010. It is a and those, great song, though. Yeah. yeah, but those are also bands whose heyday was all 20 years ago. You say Ministry? Ministry, yeah. In 2010? Yeah, a live version <laughs> of the song. Yeah. Uh, I love Ministry, but yeah. Yeah, Metallica, Slayer, Slipknot, Motorhead, Metallica, Korn, Tool, Deftone, Sabbath. I think it's it's literally the same handful of bands like slightly different in the nominations like the year that high on fire won between the buried and me death heaven trivium and Android for nominated i'm like okay cool that that kind of makes sense but yeah it's uh it is good for body count but also kind of yeah it doesn't exactly set, tell you that the grammys have got their finger on the pulse um of like yeah of new music um because you know the weekend has boycotted the ceremony. Obviously, we're talking about like how shady um, they are. Like the weekend's most recent album, like one of the biggest pop albums of the last couple of years, like absolutely mm-hmm. huge. And he didn't get a single nomination. Absolutely I guarantee absurd. everyone has probably heard Blinding Lights at some point. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that song is pretty inescapable. It's a great pop song. Um, yeah, I can't believe. Uh, yeah, he didn't even get a nomination. It's the curse of Uncut Gems. That's what it is. Anyone, Anyone who connected was... to Uncut Gems won't get a nomination. It's true. Absolutely true. Yeah. Adam Sandler didn't get nominated. Safties, you know, robbed. Uh, Wayne Diamond. Wayne Diamond, yeah. Lakey Stan- Stanfield, like, best supporting actor. What's going on there? Yeah. Crazy. Um, one thing that's quite cool, though, is if you look at, like, most of these bands as well in the nominations, like Code Orange in this moment, Poppy, like, it's really good to see, like, a lot of female representation in heavy metal mm. there. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where, like, Stuff like the Grammys and the Oscars, like they do move along. It's, it can be slow as hell, but there is like you know a bit of cultural progression there. Yeah, Oscars is getting better slowly, Definitely. eventually. Yeah. Glenn Close is still hanging in there, though. <laughs> Let's talk films for a minute. Let's, uh, yes. let's get to the film section of the podcast. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy. It's on Netflix. Lewis's face has just gone like completely. What? Um, what did you say? Hill, Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah, it's not a Rob Zombie album. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, they uh, they announced the um, Oscar nominees at the start of the week, Lewis, um, and we're in a bit of a weird position because of uh, COVID and stuff. Or cinemas not being open, a lot of these movies haven't really been released over here. Yeah. Um, Dan and I managed to see one of the contenders uh, through like a Sky VIP mm. like promotional thing uh, yesterday, a film called Minari, which starred, um, I forget his name, but he played uh, Glenn in The Walking Dead. Steve Yoon. Steve Yoon, yeah, which was a really lovely uh, movie. But there was this film that came out a few months ago called Hillbilly Elegy, directed by Ron Howard. But it's the most Oscar Beatty looking piece of crap. I haven't yeah, watched it fact, yet, but just from a trailer. Fact, the first the uh on I just googled it. Uh and on Rotten Tomatoes it's <laughs> its opener says 
Uh, Hillbilly Elegy is an Oscar-friendly narrative. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only thing, the only thing I have to say yeah. about that movie and Glenn Close in it is just where did she get t-shirts so big? Like, I know it must have been secondhand stores, I reckon. <laughs> um, I, I just think at this point, I like Glenn Close as an actress. Just give her a fucking Oscar so we can all get on with our lives um, <laughs> and, and avoid having stuff like Hillbilly Elegy made. Um, is that bad? Um, I don't know. I'll watch it eventually. It just looks so boring and so. Uh, it looks like a parody. Just Oscar bait. trailer you might get of an Oscar bait type film. Yeah. It looks, everyone's yeah. doing um, Southern American accents. Yeah, it's based it's... on a true life story about a guy who pulls himself up from uh, essentially like living in a trailer park, I think, and like poverty into being like a successful investment banker, I think. And it's like okay. his memoirs of his mum and his grandma raising him. But... Yeah, it's, qu- it's quite significant because when it when the book came out, a lot of people kind of turned to it as an explanation as to, okay, how did we get to, like, Trump's America? And a lot of people sort of, like, cited it as a example of one of the reasons why. Uh, because it looked, it, it, you know, it deals with stuff like the opioid, opioid crisis in America as well okay. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of public perception on the book is, like, really kind of turned. Uh, and also the fact that um, it's quite easy just to kind of to, I think, uh, put people in those little buckets and say, oh, you know, people, you know, think and say, do these things because they're poor or something like that. It can be quite condescending, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, what was I going to say? I, I watched something which should be an Oscar contender, but probably won't be because it the wasn't... The Snyder scored. Cut. The Snyder Cut, yeah. <laughs> um, where do we even start with this one? Have anyway, you watched it? Yeah, I watched it. I watched it yesterday. Where did you watch it? It's on Now TV. Is it? Yeah. It is, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm doing my time at the weekend. So <laughs> I haven't actually seen Justice League. You don't cause, need to. No, because none of this interests me. I've heard nothing but terrible things. Because it's all dog uh, shit. Up to this yeah, point. yeah, exactly. Um, and I, f- like, I fucking hate that every time a DC film comes out that Snyder has helmed, that whole fucking fandom just starts ragging on marvel and it's like yeah well they're only successful because of some reason that (laughs) these aren't because people enjoy them because they're fun (laughs) shazam is really good yeah shazam was okay i I think zack snyder didn't have anything to do with it um i thought it was fine i've heard birds of prey is a really fun time as well again people Uh, are allowed to smile and have fun i watched those films so i watched birds of prey uh the the other day Mm. and it 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 felt like it was written by a committee. You can definitely tell as well that this is a post-Deadpool world, mm. uh, but they've missed all the Harley things that Quinn, made... Harley Quinn kind of has become the Deadpool of um, DC, I think. I think I think they... Yeah, yeah, for maybe from like, like comics and fandom and that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But um, Margot Robbie is wonderful and she's such a good casting. She's terrific. Harley Quinn. I love how she does it, but the stuff that she's given to work with, it was fucking shit. Well, <laughs> like, um, I got some good news. She's got herself to blame for that, though. That's her. That's all her production and bringing it together. That's what? Margot Robbie's like, she was a producer on that film, I think. Uh, but does that, really, does that really mean anything? Producer? To be a producer on things? Yeah. 
executive producer is so executive producer is uh i was having this conversation with someone the other day executive producer is the one where you put your name on it to help it get money okay uh martin scorsese does it a lot yeah, but yeah producer yeah. for the most part is much more hands-on okay. Um, okay producer if you get nominated for best oscar for instance you're one of the winners of that oscar okay for best picture, like the director doesn't get it. Oscar for producers get best it. Oscar. Oh, sorry. For best. I said best picture, yeah. didn't I? But anyway, but that's her whole thing. She's doing a Barbie movie next as well. Okay. But she's choosing to do. It's all very strange. Well, okay. So yeah, for anyone who's been living under a pop culture rock, I guess yeah, the Snyder Cut. Lucky um, man. Yeah, so we, we, we've talked to MCU before, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I think at some point we're going to do a WandaVision uh, spoiler cast, a bit like our Mandalorian one. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll give it a little bit of time for just to settle because it only finished a couple of weeks ago, so we want to make sure everyone's sort of caught up with it before we start spewing spoilers on the internet. Mm. And uh, the uh, Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier show started uh, as of this recording. Um, oh, is, is, it, is it the first one up, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I watched it before... Um... Yeah, we I watched it actually. as well. I watched it this morning as well. Um, yeah. yeah, so, but um, obviously that's Marvel and there's also DC. Uh, and Warner Bros, who own DC, have been desperately trying to match the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if we're honest, they've kind of fall, stumbled at every hurdle. Um, yeah. <laughs> and a huge part of that, I think, is because they entrusted a lot of the vision of that series into a very divisive filmmaker in Zack Snyder. Um, someone who is an absolute, he, he is, I, I might even suggest he's more of a Marmite filmmaker than Michael Bay. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think with, with like a lot of people don't like Michael Bay's movies. Uh, they, like, like Zack people like Zack Snyder, Michael Bay people say, okay, he's very good at this one particular thing he does, but I don't like his movies. But I think with Michael Bay films, you can at some point just turn your brain off and just. Whereas no, I feel I, like with, it's. I feel like even though his movies aren't more intellectually stimulating, it's also harder to just like dismiss what's happening on screen in front of you of a Zack Snyder movie, even if it is the Michael Bay film. So I, I think it's. I think it's completely different because um, I think Michael Bay is essentially just a horny 12 year old boy writing what he thinks is a super cool film. Um, I think that's Zack that's, Snyder as well. <laughs> well, I well, think, think Zack Snyder's maybe a horny 16 year old. But, but here's what I mean is that like, and that's it. It's like, I just want as much, hap- I want as many things happening on the screen at any one time. Everyone's going to have this really fucking base, sarcastic, shitty humour and that's it. And I've never heard anyone come away and be like, Fuck, man, that Michael Bay is just incredible. Whereas... I would say that about Armageddon Zach- and The Rock. I was going to say, can we talk oh, about yeah. The Rock a minute? But, but they're great. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they are. But then the I, would say, I would also say the same for Zack Snyder with 300 and probably his version of like yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Like, people will go to bat for those movies. They'll say, okay, there's problems with them. But like whenever but people say, different. this is the reason why I've invested, you know, 15 years following this filmmaker is because those two earlier films. And I think it's the same for Michael Bay. You go into every one of his movies hoping you'll get something of the quality of The Rock or Armageddon or 300 or Dawn of the Dead and then you get a Transformers 6 or, a, you know, Batman versus Superman. But mm. I just think that, I think that Michael Bay, it doesn't pretend to be clever. 
like you know what you're getting with a Michael Bay film, and I I think he he knows what it's about, right? Um, whereas Zack Snyder, I really do think he thinks that what he's doing is incredibly smart. And yes, yes, with Zack Snyder, yeah. I th- I think Michael Bay thinks he is clever in the way that the Coen brothers are clever. I think that Michael Bay no. thinks, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he, he tried cast- and failed it with. Um- I, I, I think I think he he wants to have that like very weird sense of humor in his movies that a lot of Coen Brothers movies have. Like if you took out a lot of the action stuff in Michael Bay movies, like a Pain and Gain, and you actually look at the sense of humor in them, they are one hundred percent trying to be like a um, like a kind of Coen Brothers type movie to put where he maybe, cast, maybe like he casts a lot of like Coen Brothers like people in his films. Like there are there is weird weird humor in his movies but but i think um, he just misses but, the point of that entirely right <laughs> oh completely absolutely but like yes uh michael bear i think it's very much like yeah it's like a yeah 12 13 year olds idea of like uh, if you have unlimited money to put into an action movie where Zack snyder is maybe like a kind of 17 year olds idea who, who takes himself a bit more seriously a bit more of a gamers rise up <laughs> <laughs> movie but, yeah, but um, I guess that was that really was like the first hurdle for the uh, the DC extent film universe to fall out because Zack Snyder's vision of comic book movies is to his credit it's absolutely his own vision, uh, but it's so limited in scope and so compared to Marvel, it seems like he he doesn't really have any kind of grasp of the material beyond like. He read the I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced he's ever read a Superman comic. I think he's played the Injustice video game for sure. Yeah. I think okay, because, yeah, yeah. because he's totally obsessed in the movies with the idea of like Superman being this evil he, bad guy. Uh, do, so re- maybe maybe he read Red Sun as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I've said this to Jim a lot, but I think the the, t- the point where I knew he wasn't going to get it right, and then it amazed me they let they let him keep going with other films. I guess spoiler alert for Man of Steel, but he completely messes up one of the key pivotal moments in Superman's um, sort of growing up, I guess, or becoming Superman as the hero is the fact that, so in the comic books, he can't save his dad from dying. Mm -hmm. He has all these powers, he has all these abilities, and his dad dies in the comics of a heart attack. And there's really nothing he can do. He just has to accept that he can't save everybody despite all his powers and basically it's the gist of it and they've redone it over the years but in man of steel he could e- he could easily save kevin costner from is it a hurricane tornado a hurricane yeah we could yeah. literally in fact kevin costner goes in his place to rescue the dog so that people don't ask why clark kent doesn't have any scratches on him when he rescues the dog and then yeah, kevin he- costner dies and it's utterly pointless and has no agency and it's not super yeah it, it's Fucking stupid. It's the antithesis of with great power comes great responsibility. Essentially, he lets his dad die. Yeah. In Man yeah. of Steel. And um, also, like, the uh, the entire fucking city of Metropolis. Yeah, yeah levels it. Oh, he fucking levels it, doesn't he? It. so yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah he could not give a single shit about people. Yeah. So, yeah, because <laughs> so, yeah, that came, and I thought, like, well, I was like, well, Henry Cavill looks the part. And Love he seems he seems like a genuinely yeah. likable guy. He has like a quality to him. Like you see an interview with him or yeah. him like building a computer or like 
making yeah. like a Sunday roast and you go, yeah, oh, outside yeah. of films. Yeah. He seems or he great. gets yeah. excited about like the rugby and like, oh yeah, this dude seems like a nice guy. Uh, and I think The Witcher works for him because he gets to play someone who is quite emotionless and doesn't, and doesn't have to, have to show a huge range of emotions. Yeah, <laughs> he's, um, uh, he's not the most uh, diverse actor. Yeah, there's a reason why he's been in a lot of stuff and it's like his it's, it's cheekbones, right? So, mm-hmm. so, but he looks the part and all the time you're thinking, okay, if you just give him the material, give him the director, someone who gets it, then yes, okay. Because they obviously brought Zack Snyder in to do the action. But Zach's, then they get round to a sequel and that's when Zack Snyder, he, what Zack Snyder really wants to do is do a Batman movie. And you can tell that with Batman vs Superman because Superman is relegated to the bad guy in his own sequel uh, just to do this Dark Knight Returns interpretation of Batman. And that came out and absolutely stunk. Absolutely terrible movie. It's an absolute fart of a film. Yeah, real fart of a film. <laughs> Um, and I watch it and I start getting into like maybe the first like half hour of it but it keeps going I'm like oh no this is it gets worse and worse as it goes along and then they famously gave him Justice League as well and I feel like there must have been some contractual thing going on to get to have these movies come out kind of underperform but him still getting to make another one it just made zero sense but um while making Justice League, um, there was like a you know personal tragedy, which meant he had to leave the movie. Yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon, who has maybe become the biggest villain of all of this, uh, comes in to finish off the Justice League, completely reshoots it to like to make it a slightly more Marvel esque movie, uh, which resulted in apparently like a real horrible time on set for a lot of the cast because he was quite. Apparently, it's all coming. It's quite been quite an abusive person. Yeah, it's mm. all coming out now, isn't it? Um, and, and also, so, if you want your name on a film, you have to shoot over fifty percent of it. And Zack Snyder had uh, shot seventy something percent of his version of it. Right. So that's why they had the famous reshoots where Henry Cavill, after doing Justice League, had grown a moustache for Mission Impossible Six, <laughs> and they did. But they then had to do reshoots with Joss Whedon. And Paramount wouldn't let him shave his moustache off to do, even though you could just do a stick-on moustache, they wouldn't let him shave his moustache off to do the reshoots for Warner Brothers Justice League. So you get all these absolutely horrific-looking images where they've CGI'd um, essentially a bare lip over where his (laughs) moustache should be. Um, And it's it's really horrifying. He does look, when he smiles, he does look a little bit like hair lip in The League of Gentlemen. Yeah. He does. <laughs> You're right. It's um, it's, oh, that was... it's completely unsettling. But I guess anyway. So then this insane um, internet campaign starts to release the Snyder cut. Uh, obviously, the news came out of how much you'd film, and you can just tell tonally it's so different to the other movies. Mm-hmm. That builds up steam. Uh, HBO Max, a streaming service in the US, starts, and I guess to kind of get people excited about this new streaming service in a sea of 100,000 streaming services now they kind of cave into fan demand and they give Zack Snyder uh, excess of like 70 million dollars or something ridiculous like that to mm-hmm. go back and do a few reshoots and finish special effects and finish this Justice League film uh, which results in a four hour movie <laughs> uh, why it's interesting to me is because I genuinely like you get like director's cuts and stuff like that you know, uh, Blade Runner and so on, like, you know, mm-hmm. become, like, really famous and different versions of movies. But mm. I've never, ever heard of a director being given more money 
to go back and finish a film which already came out tanked and was not liked. This is why I'm so ex- genuinely really... Um, you're probably about to say this, but this, that's the main reason I'm genuinely really looking forward to watching it is because this is kind of completely unprecedented from what I can think of. Um, normally, director's cuts come out by hook and crook after decades of success, and they're allowed to go back and tinker slightly. Um, and the other thing is... Or, like, or, the, or they're a slightly I weird think, marketing thing, right? Like, I feel like yeah. um, certain directors now, like when the movie comes out on DVD... Doctor Sleep's like, a good example. Yeah, they're like, oh, here's the director's cut. I'm like, okay. But mm. I will say, I, the director's cut of Doctor Sleep, that's the only one I've seen, and that's a good film. And mm. it doesn't feel too long. But I think the other thing I'm really interested in is, I do, as much as I don't like his films... I feel like the idea of an artist, a director, having his... He stepped away from the project because of really, really awful circumstances. Um, but I imagine the idea of someone else coming in, cutting up what you've made, refilming over half of it, and then putting it out, the idea that he actually gets to put out what he wanted to originally um, is quite nice, given that the only reason he didn't get to do that... Uh, I mean, it wouldn't have been a four-hour film, but it was because of personal circumstances. So I think that's quite an interesting thing as well. Mm. But I yeah. don't like people gave into the internet whinging about this Snyder Cut. It's a bad precedent. It makes me wonder what's going to happen like next Christ. time a Star Wars movie that people don't like comes out. Or um, or even like a... Oh, if I just don't hate mail to any women involved in the production, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I watched it. I've seen all four hours of it. And I can tell you that it's an all right movie. <laughs> it's not it? terrible. It's not terrible. How bad it's, of a needle drops? Uh, awful. Good. It's, it's not he's, he's brilliant either because you've got the problem where Zack Snyder has this really specific vision for like superhero movies and they're not fun at all. But also they're so, so self-serious and so kind of, oh man, there's... There's moments, like, for example, like, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies are, pr- are very serious, right? But you do have, like, those moments of, like, fun in them, right? The same mm-hmm. when the Batmobile explodes and the Batbike comes out of it, right? Yeah, or he does a little I, wheelie up the wall. Uh, I think even beyond that, the, the difference is, is that Chris Nolan... I mean, Chris Nolan, I don't think he's a great character director, or a great actor-director because every single one of his characters are just kind of practical machines just to, to get a job done, right? Um, and I think that Batman worked perfectly for that because the whole universe that he built was designed around practicality. So he made Batman like as realistic as you could mm. and everything was very grounded and it, like Bane, you know, he was this like super, super strong guy, but we got, we understood kind of more from like a human level how he got to be this strong and all of this. He wasn't some like giant space creature. Uh, like if you put any of the fucking villains from the Snyder films into the Dark Knight universe, it would be so out of place. Whereas everything's so coherent in those Chris Nolan films that it's mm. perfect. Like he's really built his own version of this kind of real world Batman and that well, universe and it felt and, good and to like uh, Zack Snyder's credit like his Justice League movie is that for him it's completely 100% his universe like it's exactly what Zack Snyder's vision of that stuff looks like and that in a way is kind of impressive because he's got like total control over it it's just that like his vision of what that universe is like 
isn't particularly fun. And it feels like it feels like the moment you're not in the scene with another any of the other characters, the world stops moving. But I don't um, think you could have even had like if if you take um like Aquaman like if you <laughs> like that Aquaman in the Chris Nolan films, it would be fucking strange, right? You kind of you kind of need a bit of charm and a bit of like, yeah, this is silly. Let's let's kind of poke fun slightly because it is a ludicrous character. Uh, and I think if you take away all, this, all of all that and you play you, everything super seriously, mm, or you can completely lean into the self seriousness to build the point where it becomes kind of like silly and in a fun yeah. way. And I don't think he. He manages like it, it is a completely self-serious movie, and so when he has those needle drops, where he has these very like sincere, like a Nick Cave song starts playing, uh, or a um, Leonard Cohen song starts playing. They're always like so that. literal, I find. Yeah, it's like, it's so it's so literal and so on the nose that you can't is, help but laugh at it. But it's not meant to be funny. Um, is, um, is Granny Goodness in it? Uh, yeah, in the background. Because see, he's so moody and serious and grim but he's dealing potentially with a lot of stuff i love about dc which is all the really fucking weird sort of jack kirby uh, yeah sort of new space gods, opera type stuff oh yeah. god like granny goodness in particular mm. and all them and it's a bit of a shame yeah and i love dark side as well and the anti-life he, equation he treat he treats it with like a lot of reverence like he does treat in the same a lot like 300 it's like complete awe of like this sort of like mythology. Like mm. he just, he, he approaches all of those characters. Like they are like Greek gods and legends. Mm. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's just, it's, it's going to be one of those things where if you don't like Zack Snyder's movies, this will not make you like them anymore. Will it make uh, me like Jared Leto more? Oh, Fuck. Okay. Is he in it more? Is he actually in it more? He's he wasn't in, in it before. They actually went back and filmed it. Today. <sighs> oh, right. That's the thing I'm most you... excited to okay. see. Okay, okay. Don't spoil it. Okay, right. I won't spoil it. Um, all I'll say is, you'll be <laughs> wait if if you are going into that movie to see that see his scene in it, you are going to be waiting a long time to get to I, it. Oh, the only thing I know the context that he turns up in. Okay, but I don't know. Um, I'm, I don't want to know what he says or does because that's the thing oh I'm most excited oh about. Oh my god! It's because he's a dog shit actor. And he he hasn't got any actor's instinct. It's utterly um, horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Um, he's a joke. The, th- the thing is, though, like I found myself like quite like engaged in the film, and I quite I did enjoy like how bombastic and how big it was, um, and like how polished it was, like because everything he does has that like sheen to it, and. I think that's like, just a just a, a gradient. <laughs> he just clicks <laughs> and drops. <laughs> yeah, like an Instagram filter. Um, Does it feel like the Garth Marenghi joke where they say that one of the episodes ran short, so, so anything that didn't have dialogue, they yes. could run into slow mo. I don't think if you cut out all the slow mo, <laughs> you, you could genuinely cut like an. I say you could cut like half an hour off that movie. Incredible! There is so much slow motion in that. Being learner productions. Yeah, um, <laughs> but. I, I genuinely hope that they just that this is. I know it won't be because nothing happens, but like I genuinely hope this will be like them just saying, "Okay, cool, you've had Zack Snyder's Justice League. Let's all move on now and do something else." Like well, they're already do, making a cool-looking new Batman film. Yeah, um, let's take already. let's take exactly let's take everything in a different direction. Because yeah, again, like that bat the new the Batman. Like that is like the that's super dark and moody looking, 
but, but in a Batman it, way, if I'm in a sense. Batman way, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly in yeah. a Batman way. And like you can tell from like he's only got like one line in the trailer, but you can tell Colin Farrell and all the prosthetics is going to be like chewing the scenery. Jeffrey Wright is going to be chewing the scenery in that movie. It's going to be Robert Pattinson being like deeply intense in probably the way it's going to be quite fun. I, I think you need that. I think if you look at, I think the beauty of the especially the first Burton Batman film, uh, yeah, is Michael say. Keaton's playing it very straight for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got Jack Nicholson earning every single penny of his, I mean, is it $20 million <laughs> yeah. at the time? It was like the most expensive. Like like someone pointed out on a podcast I was listening to, you get scenes of Jack Nicholson planning crimes in his office. Like, because he's Jack Nicholson and you want as much as you can get on screen of him. Um, so I think there's a real precedent for, I, mean, I think that's why I love Batman so much is because his rogues gallery is so, I mean, obviously a man dressing as a bat and fighting crime is ridiculous. But he's very self-serious and he gets to... He got the job done. So. Oh, I know, I know. Well, the Dent Act banned all crime, didn't it? Don't forget. So Of course, yeah. Uh, it wasn't just him. But, um, <laughs> but I think you do have a very serious man playing off against, you know, again, scenery-chewing type villains and heroes. And I think that's what I've missed in the Snyder ones. Everyone's yes. at the same Everyone's at the same level of yeah. Uh, yeah. tone. I think that's, yeah. Apart from I, I, maybe Flash, but he just seems annoying rather than different. Yeah, Flash is annoying in it. Flash yeah. is very annoying. Yeah, um, <laughs> Cyborg obviously gets a lot more to do in this version. Um, Good, jo- he Joss Whedon from what's coming out. Joss Whedon really treated him like absolute shit, Ray Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Um, his his character is very very gloomy all the time, which I guess I realise is a you know he's a man who woke up to find that. Um, he is now a cyborg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's got a lot to deal with. Um, it's going to put a bummer on your weekend, isn't it? If you wake yeah, up and absolutely. Happens. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I've not seen the Aquaman movie yet, but that looked very colourful and fun. And Jason Moa's Aquaman in this is very much like the kind of, uh, he's like a Jack Daniels drinking like rock star kind of surfer dude type thing. Again, so it looks like it feels like he should be having more fun in the role. If you read that description of Aquaman, uh, Jack Daniels drinking Rockstar Surfer, you think, oh, okay, this sounds like silly and fun. Yeah. It's not. I, it's very, I, I very need to serious. watch the Aquaman film because it's James Wan. So you yeah. hope there's more fun in it. Yeah. Just from him being the director. And uh, Wonder Woman's kind of there to like uh, read exposition. And yeah. I've, <laughs> yeah. And uh, like. What, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone said that like Gal Gadot was a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger in that like on paper they're not actually great actors, but there is something incredibly mesmerising about their performances, and uh, it's probably just oh, they just have a presence, don't they? They just have a presence, yeah. It's probably just because they're both two incredible-looking people, like you know, in their prime. But um, yeah, hearing Gal Gadot uh, read like pages of exposition about uh new gods battling ancient heroes and See, mother boxes great. and stuff like that <laughs> yeah right but it, on paper it should be amazing <sighs> um it's it's it, you know it's a bit like he tries to do a thing a bit like um when Kate Blanchett does the introduction uh it the Lord of the Rings okay. trilogy yeah uh he can, they kind of try and do that but maybe about an hour and a half into the movie or something like that um because it's a four-hour movie <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah Gal Gadot just is reading it and it's like like 
Yeah, you're not invested in Jack Kirby's new gods quite like you need to be <laughs> to deliver this material. Um, the action is really good, um, as you'd expect to be with Zack Snyder. Um, when the action scenes actually happened, I was like, generally like, oh man, okay, this is good. Like he can shoot action and compose action really well and you know where everything is, everything's going. And I feel like I've forgotten that because there's so much other stuff in it because he's not a character act, you know, he's not a character actor's director he's not a narrative director so yeah i've got a lot of thoughts on the movie if you it, sure I'll, I'll cut it short because if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the movie i'm going to be on a friend's podcast soon talking about all four hours of this film um so i will keep let you guys know when it's up um, cool i'm gonna watch it this weekend but yeah it's on now tv uh it's four hours long and um, it's got some good wigs in it. Do you need to, Do you need to have watched all of the others no, to get it? I imagine not. not. No, because it's introducing a lot of those characters for the first time, like Aquaman, The Flash, Cyborg are all coming into the first time, and everyone knows who Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman are. Yeah. So yeah. Also, oh, even that's fucking stupid. Also, the villains got Steppenwolf. <laughs> This is this yeah. is why Aven- this is why Avengers was really exciting. It's because you got to see all these characters that were set well, up well, come together. Wildest, <laughs> that's the wildest thing about this whole DC Marvel thing is Marvel just didn't have it. yeah Marvel didn't have control of all their properties, whereas every single DC property is owned by Warner Brothers because they own yeah. DC Comics, and yet Mar- Marvel turned Iron Man into an A-list superhero. He wasn't even yeah. remotely close to that before. Mm that film came out and now yeah whereas yeah oh fuck it (laughs) so yeah this this is like i think my biggest criticism there's so much to criticize like i i'm saying to someone who actually was like this is the best possible Zack snyder justice movie justice league movie you can get for better or worse this is the best possible version of it but it, the most strange thing to me is that it all feels like it's either too soon or unearned right because mm-hmm. the most amazing thing, and there's a reason why that shot in the first Avengers movie, the mall in New York City, panning round, is yep. iconic. Or the oh. uh, on the left scene in uh, yeah. Endgame is, has become iconic because we've seen all these characters in their separate movies over the course of years, over 10 years, um, and we're finally getting to see them all come together. And in a way, all of those individual movies are almost just trailers for like these big team ups, right? Uh, mm. And so when they finally get together, for the most part, it's it's an, you've earned that experience. Your patience mm-hmm. and your investment has paid off. Justice League feels like it should be film number eight in the yeah. series, right? You know, yeah. it's, it's like where's my okay? I should have had my Ben Affleck Batman movie, my Man of Steel sequel, my Wonder Woman movie, my Flash movie, my Aquaman movie. You know, where's the where's my new Green Lantern film? And then you, you get excited to see them all come together. They have the template right there. It's bizarre. Yeah. And Justice League brings all these people characters together and it says the world's gonna end, but also we need to introduce all of these people and you need to learn a bit more about them because you've not heard of them before and we've not brought them into this universe before. You don't really know what they're all about. And now you need to care about these people, but also care about this big existential threat that's happening. And it's like had I known about these people before, when I finally see Aquaman and Batman scream for the first time together, you go, whoa, that's awesome. That's so cool seeing these characters interact. 
but you don't have any of that. They've not earned any of that. And you don't need to waste that, time explaining who these people are. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that, to me, is probably the most frustrating thing uh, about about this whole DCU thing. It just feels like it's wasted potential. Um, mm. And so in, in many ways, like Zack Snyder finishing this off is kind of cathartic for me because it means we can kind of put his weird vision of what these superheroes should be to one side and maybe try something else uh, different that's maybe... I know it sounds kind of weird and bad in a way because, like, the MCU movies are really broad. Like, you know, there's not a huge amount of, like, in a good way, there's not a huge amount of, like, personal filmmaking going on there. Whereas, like, Justice League is a weird art... One man's weird art project that you got millions to make for. Yeah. But... But I would rather... It's not very often I'd say this, but right now I'd rather have, like, the broad, one-size-fits-all superhero movie for DC than I would this this Marmite filmmaker's very specific artistic vision. Absolutely. Anyway, thank you for coming to my TED talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a ramble as long as uh, the movie. No, I'm really interested to see it, like I said. So before we go, I was just going to add as well, <laughs> putting this Joker scene where it is in the movie is so bad because it's a long-ass movie as it is. This is something they shot brand new for it. I'm going to put it on after Leto's the Leto's performance is so fucking bad. It's like, it's like Snyder was trying to tank his own movie at the end of it. After actually going, <laughs> oh, he's kind of pulled this off. I'm like, yeah, he's actually kind of made like, you know, a good Zack Snyder style movie out of this. Yeah. He almost, it's like self-sabotage. Um, oh, he is so fucking awful in that scene he can't make up whether he's trying to be um Heath Ledger or uh basically uh, he's, he's or, yeah he basically can't say he wants to do his own thing or be like Heath Ledger's Joker uh, but you can tell like that was like his absolute biggest influence on the performance um it's it is the most try hard wannabe uh like Oh my god, it's absolute dog shit. That doesn't oh, sound like Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, it's so it is so he needs fucking Oscar bad. Taken away. I'm not. I'm not going to take. Like he, he has this line which stands out like a sore thumb, and I okay. can't wait for you guys to see it because like yeah. you'll know exactly what the line is straight away. And one spoiled thing though, you know, in the trailers when they revealed that Jared Leto was going to be in it. Oh, I've and, heard about uh, this. And he says, "We live in a society," and everyone's like. They finally got the Joker to say the meme line, we live in a society. That isn't in the movie. They just literally did that for the trailer. Uh. But it's okay because he says something so much worse. Okay. <laughs> it's... Oh, okay, don't spoil it. I will watch it. Okay, cool. Yeah. It, well, it made me want to play Injustice 2, though. So I downloaded that. <laughs> those games are good. <laughs> Well, I, oh, God. They, there you go. I mean, let us let us know what you thought about these um, <laughs> about these different cuts and very different films of the same film. Um, and I, we, I think what was it we said? We were uh, really interested in hearing if you've got any examples of really good bands that have had massive success that have then changed direction or style or whatever completely and gone on to even big, bigger success because we we have to be missing something here. I'm sure yeah, we are. Right? Between the three of right us, I, I can't believe that we're we're missing something. But So please let us know. Call us out. 
Uh, and if you do want to get in contact with us, you can find us on Instagram, where we are at Slowly We Rock Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, where we are at Slowly Rock. You can contact us directly, where we are Slowly Rock at gmail.com. Uh, we're everywhere else as Slowly Rock something. Just Google it, you know where we are. Uh, the, the best thing that you can do, if, if you have enjoyed this, is recommend it to a friend. Uh, honestly, word of mouth is just the, the best thing yep. for any kind of promotion. I think this year we would absolutely love to break the, the 10K plays this podcast we've been doing it a couple of years now um i think we could do it but we definitely can't do it alone so if 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 you're able to help with that and you can just recommend us to a friend give us a little five star review on uh, itunes or anything it really really helps make this visible for other people yeah and maybe other people will like it and maybe maybe they won't and you know someone that won't like this and you don't like them and if you really (laughs) want to piss them off recommend this to them yeah. Any Jared Leto fans? <laughs> but no, guys, thank you so, so much for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, tune in in probably a fortnight, I think, uh, where you will get the, the latest scoop on Dan's cinematic bold man. It's a good one. More <laughs> televisual, but I just had a text Lewis from Kizzy saying that uh, Lewis is currently frantically squeezing lemons. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you guys so so much. Take care. Take, Take care, guys. Bye.